Hello, fair listeners. We're out and about this week, so we're replaying a classic episode of the Underpowered Hour. This one with our very good friend, Julian Schulheffer, talking all about the restoration of Land Rover production number one, JUE 477. We'll be back next week with an all new episode of your second favorite Land Rover podcast. Until then, enjoy one of our favorite classic episodes. It's the Underpowered Hour on this week's show, Workshop Updates, and then we're joined by Julian Schuleifer to talk about the restoration of Land Rover production number one, JUE 477. And now, without delay, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the peeling and faded paint to Stephen's lustrous clear coat. I'm the scruffy old body of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram, at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. Well, uh, no news this week because we actually want to get right into uh, our guest, uh, Julian uh, Schulheifer. Let me tell you, that's a name that uh, you look at it and you're like, that can't be how it's pronounced. It's pronounced exactly as it's spelled. So I've been struggling with it. for Anyways, Julian, amazing uh, guest. We've been uh, excited to have him on for uh, several uh, months now, ever since we visited him in the UK. Uh, but before that, what's uh, what's up in the uh, the old uh, Her Majesty's Pangolin uh, 4x4 uh, up uh, there in uh, snowy, snowy Oregon, I hear. It's uh, not, been, uh, not been the nicest weather up there lately. Uh, I think most of the weather is happening at altitude so fortunately we've actually been having pretty nice weather here in the valley but um, nice in the in the workshop we've been uh, we've been working on an 80 inch uh, sort of a later 80 inch a 53 and mm. this particular one is uh, somewhat historic uh, we've talked about it a little bit on the show before it was um, uh, purchased originally by the heir to the Comstock load fortune. And for those of you that oh. wasn't, weren't, aren't familiar, that was a discovery of a, a silver vein that was very, um, uh, very prosperous. And, uh, so they made a huge fortune at one time. They made one three hundredth of the gross domestic product of the United States. So, Whoa. So pretty wealthy folks, and they bought a massive ranch, 37,000 yeah. acres, and wow. uh, they bought some Land Rovers, and this was one of them to mm. to work the ranch. And yeah. uh, it was sold off probably in the 70s and, and then used uh, in uh, California for several years and then mm -hmm. uh, kind of fell into disrepair and disuse. And, and it's a really cool truck, really uh, original vehicle, and we're doing a, a patina restoration on that. And so we've uh, – started to do some of the heavy lifting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, drivetrain has been pulled out uh, in preparation for rebuilt. And uh, now we're doing the structural repairs and uh, to the chassis, you know, to mm -hmm. the uh, uh, firewall and, and chassis, getting uh, all of those uh, straight and square and uh, free of any rust. 
Yeah. So it's uh it's been a, a fun process, but it, it, this is definitely the the dirtiest, messiest part of the of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not the most fun part. Yeah, we're uh, getting ready to overhaul. Uh, both axles in the Defender 90 because uh, it's going on to a, a trip in February and uh, needs to have the swivel ball stop uh, keeping all of the lubricant on the outside uh, of the uh, inner tire and uh, inside the swivel ball. So that's finally got to that's finally got to happen. That's never a super fun job, but uh, thankfully I have all the jigs and everything to rebuild it on the bench and don't have to do it on the car. Which I'll trade you. Bit. You can do the. Uh... You can do the swivels on the nine on yeah, the uh, uh, on, on the, the series one. The series one, yeah. Hmm, that's a tempting offer, but uh, yeah. Well, we're gonna find out because you know, I, there's a huge controversy. We, we have controversy. We we have talked about this before. Uh, are they in fact tapered bearings on the upper of the swivel ball in the NAS ninety, or are they a uh, thrust uh, uh, bearing, uh, a relco bush, if you will? Um, We'll find out because it literally the internet is divided 50-50. Um, it, this should be a conclusive answer, but uh, man, it, it sure isn't. And I've actually, uh, hence the reason they're leaking like a sieve, uh, have never had the uh, the swivel balls. I've never built them on this particular car, so that's that's why it needs rebuilding. But uh, we'll find out more after there. thirty years. Yeah, oh, it's well past time. It's been probably past time for about five years, but uh, my ability to procrastinate on things like that is legendary. So speaking of which, also the uh, carburetor in the uh, Series 3 on the way here is now uh, stalling out at every stop sign. Uh, so it is time to uh, address the carburetor finally uh, in uh, my uh, Daily Driver Series 3 because it's uh, it's cold enough here now that it's uh, it's not super happy with me and needs to be... Well, it's it's past the point of adjustment. It just needs a just needs a replacement. So that's fine. We'll get on that at some point. Uh, a time for everything. But speaking of replacing uh, the dirty and or restoring uh, the uh, rusty, uh, we're gonna have our our very good friend Julian, uh, who is, I mean, certainly one of the uh, preeminent uh, restorists in the uh, in the Land Rover world. We were really lucky to be able to go and visit him in his top secret underground lair uh, there in. Uh, in the UK while we were there and he was uh, wonderful met the met the family and uh, saw some really cool uh, really cool uh, cars that he has there and then of course talked about uh, maybe the most famous car uh, number one that he uh, was in charge of sort of uh, working on so let's uh, let's uh, rev up the interview uh, machine there I believe uh, this morning uh, it is uh, it is run on a, uh, a high grade uh, ethanol and just a just a pinch of maple syrup get that going and uh Let's uh, let's bring Julian into the conversation. All right. Uh, after some delay, uh, and when we apologize, uh, Julian, we we have been uh, sort of trying to set up some time with you ever since we saw you uh, in the UK. But we're joined by uh, legendary Land Rover restorist uh, Julian uh, Schulheifer. <laughs> how how are you, uh, sir? Welcome. I'm oh, very well, thank you, and I, I hope you both are too. Yeah, we're doing. You know, we're we're getting through it. Uh, we survived our our trip to uh, to the UK. We weren't, uh, uh, you know, we weren't uh, killed by some kind of air. Born uh, contagion, uh, or uh, <laughs> one of your famous uh, attack uh, pheasants uh, that guards uh, the workshop uh, there, the uh, the Schulheifer uh, workshop. The attack pheasant was uh, was was just there for that week. He hasn't been seen since. So wow, I, I hope he's safe and well. 
yeah, it's a little known fact that Ike actually packed him back to the United <laughs> States uh, with us, and he now uh, inhabits the uh, uh, Pangolin shop. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, I'm sure. No, I'm I'm sure no laws were broken in the import of that pheasant. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get a visit from U.S. Fish and Wildlife now. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Ike is responsible for a uh, a breed of uh, Oregon pheasants that are uh, bred to kill and have a taste for human flesh. So. You know. This is the this yeah. is the next plague on humanity. Yeah, pheasants. Yeah, rough, rough, beautiful, but rough. Bloodthirsty pheasants. Oh man, yeah. At least you can see. Yeah, exactly. You see them coming. You know, it's it's, it's just a sense of dread. Uh, so besides besides the attack pheasants, uh, Julian, let's talk a, a little bit. You were uh, very gracious in uh, hosting uh, Ike and I, um, or you were unable to come up with a reasonable excuse for why you couldn't be there when Ike and I were uh, were in the UK. And so we definitely appreciate uh, a visit to uh, to the workshop and uh, a meeting with the whole with the uh, the the whole Schulheifer uh, family, uh, which it, it very much is. Yeah, it very much is a family affair there. Yeah, it really is. Um, my um, eldest son left school right in the middle of the pandemic and uh, has has just fallen right into place. He's he's a fantastic welder. He's picked up everything really, really quickly and, and easily. And uh, I'm thinking that um, early retirement might be next. It's... <laughs> it's, it's He's uh, no, he's really, he's really, really done well, and uh, he's got his own projects in the in the workshop at the moment. He's um, halfway through uh, a customer's eighty eight series one that he's making the most fantastic job of, and uh, yeah, so he's he's doing really well. And, and Catherine, my wife, um, is the sort of the brains behind the operation. She does all the important stuff. Yeah, um, you know, making sure we all do what we need to do and all the hours that we need to do, and making sure that everything's paid, and so it works really well. And um, and we have another couple of really really lovely guys who are time served uh, Land Rover specialists who've worked um, between them at uh, uh, who've they worked for? Oh, they've worked for um, Foley's and they've worked for um, who are the people that make the roof racks for the Camel Trophy. Brown oh, Church. Brown Church, yeah. yeah, and yeah, and Brown Church, and uh, and and Foley's, and all sorts of people. So they're really, really, really good guys. Very cool. Oh yeah, and and what a great such a, a, a quintessential uh, English uh, workshop. Uh, you know, as we sort of as we tended to do in the UK, sort of turn into a hedge, and then on the other side mm-hmm. of that hedge is a, a wonderful little workshop packed full of all kinds of super cool stuff. I know Ike and I were both uh, big fans of your Trials uh, Land Rover <laughs> that uh, sort of packed away in the back there. Of all the amazing things <laughs> that, that, that you have, uh, that was sort of the thing that, you know, we obviously over here don't get the, you know, especially a Series 1, Series 2 sort of Trials cars. Mm-hmm. We don't really have that here. Um, and uh, And so to see one of those sort of in the flesh with the hinged open fenders and all the sort of neat things about it, just fantastic. Yeah, that's that's a really cool old truck. That's um, it's affectionately known as Zit. Zit has um, Zit is one of the holy trinity of trailers um, <laughs> that were built by a guy, a really lovely guy called um, Staff Dovey, who mm-hmm. a lot of the old school trials people will know in the UK. And uh, he built three trailers um, that were Zit, my one, Pimple, and Acne. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Zip, Pimple and Acne were all um, really, really um, well-adjusted, nicely modified, but really scruffy-looking Land Rovers. And what they lack in looks, they make up for in, in being excellent at what they do. Mm-hmm. So my one was sort of like a general-purpose vehicle. 
um, and it was built not as an out-and-out -out trailer, but as a, a you know, as like a recovery truck and a, a, a shop truck, and it just also happened to be really, really good trials. And I've competed mm -hmm. it quite a lot over the years. It's a, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's super cool. And and again, because we don't sort of get that stuff here, just amazing to see the the big winch in the in the bed of the car and yeah. the uh, you know all that all that sort of specially tuned uh, bits just for the you know, the kind of performance necessity of a, yeah. of a trials car. Yeah, and it flies. It's a really good. Um, it's fast on the road. It's um, it's got a high compression uh, two liter in it. Uh, three liter high compression pistons, alloy Rover 60 head, big SU carb, um, a free flying exhaust manifold, and it's it's good for. It'll sit at 70 miles an hour. It's um, it's, it's it's a cracking little series one. Yeah, that's super cool. That's super cool. Well, I think we would be uh, remiss, or certainly buried the lead by uh, saying, you know. Restoration is your is your sort of bread and butter at the at the shop there, and you've done some, mm. uh, you know, absolutely spectacular projects. But I think the one, uh, you know, that you are maybe the most well known for, or at least the one that has its own book, um, is yes. uh, is uh, JUE four seventy seven. Of course, the the first serial number one Land Rover and your mm. restoration of that project. So, how did it? You know, how did it come to you? How did how would how is it that you became involved in the the restoration of of that car? I got a, a phone call out of the blue. Um, I'm, you know, because there's this sort of two year gap in everyone's lives. Mm -hmm. you know, about five years ago, um, from a uh, a family whose um, father had died, and they approached me um, with my sort of my my evaluation. Mm -hmm. hat on as it were and my and knowing my knowledge of, of land rovers my name had come up in conversation with them and other people mm -hmm. um they were looking for somebody that could help them value an old land rover that that was part of their, their dad's estate and my name had been mentioned two or three times and i got a phone call um asking if i could help them identify an old land rover that they believe was quite early or important um, and trying to sort of pin a um, pin a value on it, and and how they might be able to sell it to release some money from the estate. Many many um, weeks went by, um, and I was desperate. I I kind of had an inkling that that it was going to be something interesting, and in in the back of my mind, I I knew that it was um, a significant Land Rover. Mm -hmm. As soon as I knew their name, the gears in my brain were working, and 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 I thought. Yeah, I think this is I think this is number one, but I I didn't know which vehicle it was. He had many Land Rovers over the years. Yeah. I didn't know if it, if they'd sold number one. I didn't know if it still existed. Um, I didn't know anything about it. But uh, to cut a long story short, after much toing and froing, I actually finally got to open the barn door uh, in this tiny little uh, mining village in in the northeast of England. Mm -hmm. And as the doors creaked open and the and the sort of I say sunlight it was pouring with rain as the um as, as the the light fell on the front of this vehicle it was it was very very clear very apparent that it was not only an early 80 but it was in fact the Land Rover that had come out of the woodwork 20 odd years before mm. and uh, was 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 known to be Land Rover number one so identifying it was um was fairly straightforward but nobody had really looked at it so although it had come out of the the woodwork at a at a land rover show in in the late 1990s yeah nobody had really poured over it and and found the 
um, you know, the engine number and the gearbox number and the transfer box numbers and the axle numbers and all of this sort of stuff was was unknown. So I was I was really fortunate in being able to to be the first person to set eyes on it and to um, scrape the grease off, you know, the, the the crud off the off the casings to actually read all the numbers. So it was an incredible, incredible day, an incredible experience. And uh, so my involvement was not in, in um, initially was not in restoring it. It was in identifying it and and trying to work out what they could do with it. Right. And originally the um, the idea had been to um, pin a tail on the donkey, as it were, and say, look, we think it's worth X or it might be worth X, and then put it into um, a public auction. And that was how the, the plan was going to go. And I had I was going to have no further involvement than that. The family then, through for one reason or another, they were approached by various people and they decided that they really didn't want to deal with um, people knocking on their door and people saying, you know, I want to buy it privately and mm -hmm. will you sell it to me and don't put it into auction and don't do all of this sort of stuff. And they, they got slightly nervous, I suppose, of, mm -hmm. of how big, you know, this, this, I won't say discovery, this sort of rediscovery yeah. of the vehicle was because the, the whole market had moved on in that last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And what was in, in the late 1990s was something of interest to a few nutters um, you know, a few enthusiasts was suddenly um, something that, because Land Rovers, especially early ones, had got so popular mm -hmm. and values had increased, was was a big deal, and a lot of people were really starting to put pressure on them and hassle them. So they then came back to me and said, "Look, we we don't want um, to make this. We don't want to go to public auction for for a number of reasons." You know, there's a grieving widow, there's mm -hmm. a family involved. Um, we want to sort of do this a little more quietly uh, you know what can you do to help and I said well our experience um, in, in selling things is is uh, and valuing things is not just with auction it's also with um, private tender sales mm -hmm. so if we can identify a, a group of people around the world who who might appreciate what this is and who might have what we consider to be deep enough pockets and deep enough interest to pay what we think it's worth and more importantly to understand what it is that they're buying right and, and how significant it is because you've got um huey you've got pre-pro number one mm -hmm. which is i mean everybody that knows about land rovers knows of huey mm -hmm. and Huey was um as in production number one was was relatively unknown but arguably as significant because you got the first prototype so you got huey yeah but the first production vehicle is the first of you know, arguably the first of two million yeah. that you could go out and buy. Right. So while Huey was the first ever and the first of forty-eight prototypes, Dewey was the first of you know two million that you could that you could yeah. go and buy. Of a brand and a model that you know a derivative at least of, of which survives today. So it was a it was a big deal, and uh, and they liked the idea. And to cut a very long story short, we identified um, a, a, a good number of people around the world. We um, we sent them the briefest of details, mm -hmm. one photograph, and a one-line description, and, and made a little film mm -hmm. of uh, of it in the barn. Quite amateur, but but really sort of uh, evocative of mm -hmm. what it was. It really set the it really set the tone of it being, um, you know, abandoned and in a barn and, and covered in household stuff all over it, and um, and it had the desired effect we, we had a, a huge amount of interest and in fact 
everybody that we sent um, the little film to, the little invitation to, mm-hmm. everyone got back. Every single person got back, and uh, it's it's it has to be um, it has to be kept a secret what we sold for it. That's not for yeah. sort of the public public record what we sold it for. But we did extremely well with it. I mean, mm-hmm. really, really well. The, the family were very happy. Um, the buyer was very, very happy. And do you still have that film? Yeah, I, I could. Um, yeah, I'll send you one, or I'll, I'll yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you have it somehow. You can you upload it onto the channel. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and it and it really just it really just sort of hit the the sweet spot the everybody was interested and a number of people sent um their own sort of experts or agents to to come and have a look at it but what was really nice was that we were given or the family wanted us not just necessarily to get the most money it wasn't about money it was it was that was part of it but it was also about do the people that ultimately uh you know want to end up with this understand what it is right it's it's not a it mustn't be sold just for financial reasons it mustn't be sold um you know just to sort of profit from it's it's got to be saved by somebody that kind of really feels what it is mm-hmm. and, and who understands how bad it is you know this thing was was it was com- complete largely i mean missing some bodywork and some stuff that everybody knows um but in terms of its components you know from like the the front bumper to the to the rear cross member, it was it was all there. You know, it was the, all there, the, yeah. The, the radiator, the engine, the gearbox, the transfer box, the axles, the diffs, the, the brakes. You know, the steering box, it, the, the bits you needed to have for for it to be authentic were all were all there. And uh, so that was that was that side of things. And uh, like I say, we were really pleased. The family were over the moon. Um, the buyer was really happy. And, you know, like a month went by and I phoned up the buyer and I said, um, you, you've got this, uh, you bought this Land Rover. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, they, and they and they said, um, yeah, we really we really should do something with it. Um, what do you think we should do with it? And I, I said, well, I, I don't know. You know, it's uh, it's yours. Um, and they said, um, we don't want to do the wrong thing. Um, yeah. We We know you understand them. What would you do? And I said, put pen to paper and write us a proposal of what you think should be, mm-hmm. what should be done. Forget the money, forget the time. What's the right thing to do? So I, uh, I wrote sort of like a, an essay really on <laughs> you know, what you shouldn't do. Yeah. A car like that is a, you know, working on a car like that is a big responsibility. Yeah. What, what, so what was your philosophy working on it? Well, well, everyone's going to have everyone's going to have an opinion of, of what's right and what's wrong, and did they do it right or did they sure. do it wrong? Or, and I knew that from the start, and I knew I knew it could have been a bit of a, a poison chalice. Um, and I basically gave them sort of four options. There was the don't do anything, leave it right. as it is, and in fact, why don't we price up building a, an acrylic box for it? And stick it mm, in there, mm-hmm. and we'll get like a um, you know like a fan that recirculates the air, and it'll sit in there for a thousand years. And on the other end mm-hmm. of the spectrum was, let's make it look new. Let's make it look like day one in the factory. Um, they were the extremes, but in the middle, and and my sort of preferred routes were shore it up so you can kind of maybe we build a subframe underneath it and 
kind of make it run and you know, so you can put it in gear and see the axles turning. Or the, the preferred route, the really, the one that I was so desperate that they did was um, restore every single inch of it, but in such a way that you don't throw anything away that was savable. And if there was a, a surface, like a, a cosmetic surface or a cosmetic part of the paint, like the, the bodywork or you know, some, maybe some paint on the steering box or some bare aluminium or, you know, some, some bits that had, were there and showed their age was to absolutely do, well, not do nothing to them, but leave them to tell the story. So mm-hmm. they absolutely right. fell in love with that. And they said, you know, that, that's the way to do it. Um, but what we want whoever's going to restore it to do is um, to make it work. So... Here's the, mm-hmm. you know, here's the, here's the deal. What we think we want to do is we want this sort of preservation, conservation, restoration, whatever you want to call it. Um, but we want it done in, in such a way that we can get in and use it every day. And it's like, right. yeah. you know, oh, there's making things work and there's preserving things. You can't have both. And uh, right. th- this great idea that I'd had, um, you know, where this sort of this this amazing thing was going to happen actually threw up as as many well more questions than than answers it was almost an impossible combination Mm -hmm. and how do you make something work when it's it's really bad and which bits do you throw away and which bits do you keep so i left it at that and they they came back to um the buyers guys who are all really lovely really really seriously knowledgeable people came back uh to our workshop and had a meeting with me and uh they said, we got your proposal. We absolutely love this one. Um, the, the preserve every square millimetre of it that, that can be safely saved. But we emphasise the word safely and we stress that it must mm-hmm. be usable, dry, right. reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, well, you know, good luck finding somebody to do that. I mean, I, I'm great with the ideas, but you've got to find somebody to execute this. <laughs> and they said, um, well... Um, didn't, didn't we, you know, didn't we, didn't we tell you we, we, we've, um, you know, we know uh, that you've restored, um, various Land Rovers and we know some people that you've restored Land Rovers for, and, uh, we'd like you to do it. And my first reaction was literally, oh, crap. <laughs> sure. like, yeah. That, that, I mean, it's such an important vehicle that opens you to criticism for sure. Yeah. What have I done? I mean, re- what have I done? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I literally said, "You're going to have to give me a minute." And I got up and I walked out the uh, out the workshop door. And I walked up the track, you know, where the track is, where the where the killer mm-hmm. pheasant is. And yes, uh, yeah. walked up the track, and I, I got about a hundred yards up the track, and I was thinking, "This could be a really bad, bad thing to do because if if this is wrong, if if I get this mm-hmm. wrong." This mm-hmm. is just, I've you know, destroyed heritage. Mm-hmm. I've destroyed their thing that they've bought. Um, you know, and, and ultimately, I could never, <laughs> I'd never ever be able to work again. You'd be <laughs> yeah, run out of England. Uh, yeah, let's uh, to go live in Sweden or something. Yeah, there's There's been some cautionary tales in this vein, you know. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the uh, Winston Churchill Land Rover. Oh, yeah. Okay. Pre- precisely. Now, and, and, and that's, that's a vehicle that I had, the Churchill vehicle is... Is a is a is a truck that I had an awful awful lot to deal with, and I'm one of the few people that that have driven it on on numerous occasions in an mm. unrestored state. And um, 
you know, I agree that there's a way of doing things and a way of not doing things. And, and I can assure you that the Churchill one is is not the way that I kind of would have done that car, knowing mm-hmm. how um, how good it was and how savable it was before. Yeah. So I, I, I got about 100 yards up the track and I stopped and I thought, do you know what? You can do it. And if anyone can do it, you can do it. And you can do it properly. And the hardest part is just going to be starting it. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Um, they came up with a very sensible budget, but there was a budget. They came up mm-hmm. with a, um, a, a a time period over which they wanted it done, mm-hmm. which was basically two years. But it was mm-hmm. it was it was doable. Um, I knew that I had a very very good team of of people that completely understood it. I had to restore it very secretly, not because because there was anything, I mean, in fact, it was the opposite. It's not because we were trying to hide what we were doing, but we wanted there to be no distractions from this very, very clear vision yeah. that we that we had. And so what we didn't want was to get to any point, you know, where we found somebody was saying, oh, I don't know why you're doing it that way, you know, just oh, throw that diff away and just get another one, and, or, you know, or right, oh, right. sand it down and we'll stick some paint on and fake it and, you know, you can't save that paint, so we'll, you know, knock, knock the paint off and we'll respray it. We didn't want any of that, so we, we didn't yeah. want any sort of, um, we didn't want too much outside influence. But what we did to um, to, to make sure that, that everything was sort of completely open and honest and, and above board was um, the owners appointed... Um, a chap called Andrew Nahum, who mm-hmm. is the conservator emeritus of the Science Museum in London. Mm-hmm. And he has the most incredible expert knowledge in, in restoring um, and preserving machinery. Mm-hmm. And Andrew came out and gave, first of all, his opinion. And, and you know, they said, uh, you know, Andrew, or the owner said, Andrew, what do you think of this? Is it restorable? And uh, he, like me, had had the benefit of, of spending a, quite a few hours of, of poring over it and seeing what was what. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, it's it's all the bits you really, really need are, are there. Even the chassis, which was the biggest, uh, the biggest issue, um, mm-hmm. was that the chassis, the back had broken on the chassis. Right. But, but once we got the bodywork off, um, the front section around the engine, it had, I mean, this thing was worked hard. You know, the, the engine had puked oil everywhere and the diffs had sprayed oil up on the underneath. So actually there were, there were very large sections of chassis that were um, extremely sound and solid and, and savable. And mm. the pictures where you see the back broken is because it had no roof on it, it had no windscreen on it. Um, the, the 48 floors, which are steel, had rotted out. The weather had got into that section and mm-hmm. almost rotted that section through. So you had a front section that was actually quite well preserved in a lot of places and a back section that was quite well preserved in a lot of places. Yeah, not, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy yeah. restoration, um, <laughs> but it was, it was there and yeah. uh, he was, he was all for it. So um, we had backing from the science museum and we had them and, and, uh, and their guys um, keeping an eye on what we did. Um, and, um, I mean, I've got sort of a, a group of, um, I mean, we do 99.9% of the work that we do. Um, we do ourselves in the workshop, mm-hmm. very small workshop, as you know, but you know, we, there's, there's nothing that we don't do or can't do. So, um, yeah, we, we sort of, um, we, we started and, uh, the chassis took four months. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was two of us. That was, uh, Richard wow. that works with me and I, um, four months and that was that was a big deal that was that was sleepless nights Um, Mm -hmm. and the way we approached that 
was um, we kind of it was daunting to start with, but a chassis is only a sort of a welded collection of parts. Yeah. So we kind of thought, well, if you take it apart into those pieces, so yeah, they were unbelievably. I mean, most Land Rovers that go rusty, the outriggers rot off first. Mm-hmm. As, as I know, the outriggers, mm-hmm. um, you know, the ends dissolve. And, and we yeah. live on the west coast of the United States. There is no rust here. Yeah, yeah there's no rust here. It hasn't made <laughs> well, it out here yet. I think, I think we make up for all of that here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do a lot of we do a lot of chassis repair, and mostly it's from cars that are you know uh, on the actual very very coastal areas mm-hmm. where they get some salt air or whatever. Mm. And then uh, you know from the Midwestern United States, you see some some rusty well, cars. But. Imagine the worst one you've ever seen and then then multiply by 10 this was the worst one i've ever seen uh was on the coast and uh it it had there was nothing like you if you turn the steering wheel the 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 whole entire bulkhead would shift Mm. like left to right because there was nothing it was not attached to the (laughs) chassis and the axles weren't attached to the chassis there was no way to move the car like if you tried to tow it (laughs) it would all just come apart into pieces so I mean, I, I, yeah, I've seen that kind of car, and it, it's it's daunting to think about repairing that. You know, most yeah. projects of that nature, you you out of hand replace the chassis. You know, but when you're trying to save a historically important chassis, mm. you know, obviously you gotta you gotta go through the paces of of not only fixing it, but but building all of those sections in a way yeah. that is consistent with the original construction. So that's yeah. a that's a huge process and task. Well, we, you know, we, we sort of, as I say, we dissected it. I think it's the the only way to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to describe it. And and that, that helped mentally. Um, you know, this was a, it was, it, that was the only thing that caused sleepless nights. Originally, we had um, actually asked a, a chassis specialist in the UK mm-hmm. to help us do it. And um, without any warning, just as we were sort of going to ship the chassis there. Is that Pete? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. All right. So with, without any warning, they sort of, I think they got cold feet and uh, mm-hmm. and they said, ah, do you know what? No, it's not for us. And so I had to make a decision, uh, which was, um, do we do we look for somebody else or do we just grasp the nettle and, yeah. and, and do it ourselves? Because it's once you've got your head around the fact that it's um you know if you've replaced a rear cross member we've got to replace a rear cross member if you've yeah. repaired spring hangers then you've got to repair the spring hangers if you've got to um you know repair an outrigger or or, or make an outrigger and and yeah. it, it was just pretty much every repair that we've ever done before but all in one chassis oh, and but... uh, and so we'd, we'd had um you know we've we've got um various jigs and uh, for, for, for subsections of things and mm-hmm. my friend's got a chassis table and uh, you know so it was all there and it was all it all sort of fell into place but but the thing that that amazes me with it is that there were once we sort of got into it there were huge sections that that actually needed um, this may sound hard to believe but there are there were huge sections that actually needed relatively little repair and there were other mm. parts that were non-existent that we just to, yeah that we, weren't there anymore yeah, yeah that weren't there anymore so the rear spring hangers for example and everything they attached to weren't there but then mm. the top rail of the chassis all the way through virtually from front to back was there so we had the the original um a lot of the original steering at the original dimensions we had jigs we had sub jigs mm-hmm. we repaired uh, i think you know in the book there's a great picture which showed the the process which was repaired. Yeah. Um, the engine cross member and how we uh, this is a 
I'll just mention that the the book he's referring to is the the you know, restoration of JUE, um, and uh, it's available from Porter Press. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, JUE four seven seven, written by Martin Port, and uh, and available from mm-hmm. from Porter Press. And uh, it's on its. I think the book's on its. Um, I think it's on its third or fourth reprint. It's um, fantastic. Oh, it's a great. Yeah, it's yeah, it's great book. Check it out if you haven't have. Yeah, it's a it's a good story as well. It, it's. Um, we didn't want to make it. We wanted to make it. Uh, I mean, Martin wrote the book in, in 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 a way that we we really hoped would be written, and that was to include as much detail as we could, so all the mm-hmm. you know all, all our fellow rivet counters could <laughs> could actually <laughs> see how you know forty eight was constructed and and what we mm-hmm. had to deal with and and all this sort of stuff, but also. Um, write the story in such a way that it wasn't too dry and that it was a book that you could read as a book and not just a, you know, like a, a manual of, of, mm-hmm. of how to disassemble and reassemble a really rusty Land Rover. Um, <laughs> Were there concessions that you had to make during the restoration process or, uh, you know, are there things that you would do differently in retrospect? Well, that's an interesting question because I've, I've asked myself that since um, because you, your life revolves around it for, for two years, and then uh, you do a load of stuff with it, and, and then it goes away. The owner actually, you know, actually wants to use it, so it goes away. Yeah, right, wants the car, yeah. Yeah, actually <laughs> wants to drive his car, and and then so you might not see it for a couple of months or two or three months, and then you get to go and see it again. You get see it at something, or you get asked to go and do something with it, or it comes back for a, you know like a, a a service because they've actually mm-hmm. used the thing. Mm-hmm. And um, there's genuinely nothing genuinely nothing that i would change on it i mean mm-hmm. and i i have never said that about another project ever and i'm certainly none of my own stuff i don't want to change nothing's ever finished and, and i want to change it all the time yeah yeah every drive of any one of my cars is a is a list of all the things that are wrong with it and need to be sorted out so. <laughs> yeah but it's and, it, and it's and, and i think it's a list of regrets <laughs> yeah it's just a long list of regrets uh, every time i drive back and forth to the workshop so I'll tell you something about it, which which are, are, are two or three people who um, sort of outside, you know, our immediate, um, you know, circle, our immediate workshop that have driven it, have have said, which is the greatest compliment I've ever had about it, is that it's one of the nicest driving eighties. <laughs> you have to say nicest driving eighties because not only yeah. is it a Land Rover, but it's an eighties. Yes. You know, they're not they're, they're they're not the best to drive. They drive like a pre-war car, much more yeah. than a. Um, you know, than a, a sort of a laser eighty-six or eighty-eight. I mean, they're a very different mm-hmm. animal, um, and it drives really well, and it's it's really reliable, and it's it's just it's a cracking car. You know, it's a cracking truck. It just does everything really well, and it's it's really really good off road. I mean, surprisingly, we got it on the original pattern tires, or as close as you can get, and um, mm-hmm. and and when we um, the, the best bit of the whole project or one of the best bits of the whole project was actually um taking the finished land rover back to the farm on which mm-hmm. it was abandoned if you like if stored um, right. since 1970 and it was it was the most emotional uh, few days to actually when it dawned on us that we were there with you know hey not only am i driving land rover number one like yeah wow. but <laughs> i'm driving land rover number one on the roads and on the farm that it spent 50 years of its of its right. life was um was extraordinary and the the family um were reunited with it uh, they'd they'd not um seen it driven 
since uh, it was laid up in 1970. So we've mm -hmm. got the um, the owner, David Fairless, is, uh, he was the owner of it. He was the guy that bought it in 1970 and on whose farm um, it was it was left. He abandoned it on his farm. But his, mm -hmm. his widow uh, actually got to see it on the farm being driven and uh, his children uh, got to see it driven on the farm and they all had a go in it. And we, we drove it back down. Um, this is a really remote area. I mean, this is, this is, this is, you know, if we've got a boondocks, this part, yeah. this part of the UK is really, <laughs> really isolated. And we drove it back down um, to the farm that, that was um, famously photographed in, sort of abandoned to the, to the elements mm -hmm. before it got put in a barn for some protection. And um, it was, the wettest day ever. The water. This is a, a peat moorland, so there's like no bottom to these mm -hmm. bogs. You've mm -hmm. got uh, knitted grass and reeds on the top. That if you break through the surface, they look, you, you just drop a Land Rover down to its axles, and there they and there they sit. The bog of eternal stench. It, yeah. Th yeah, and no joking, no word of a lie. There were Morris Miners uh, and and other. Vaguely recognisable cars, including a um, including a gypsy, Austin Gypsy. Mm. Um, which, mm. <laughs> I know how much you love them. Um, <laughs> which uh, was were abandoned on the farm, and one of these cars had sunk so much into this peak that only the roof above the um, like halfway up the window glass, <laughs> only the roof was visible out of the ground. That's how wet it was. But wow. we we drove. Um, Jill, Maybe Land Rover number two is, is sitting in there somewhere. It's in that bog. Start excavating <laughs> the bog. He, he had he had quite a few series ones, but um, but mostly were later ones. But we drove mm -hmm. it down uh, through this boggy farmland, back down to the farm in the exact spot where it was uh, abandoned in 1970. And uh, we took a load of photographs, and we had the family there, and it was just the most emotional and evocative and a wonderful experience and the rain was coming down and the water's running down this peat bog like in, in rivers carving carving channels through this peat bog and i look back up at the road which was about well i say road it was a track off the road yeah. i look back up at this road and it's up a 45 degree incline on this <laughs> peat bog with water running down it and i and i thought you know what we are we are never we're not going to get this out of here so I asked them if they had, uh, did any of the farms locally have any um, recovery equipment like, a, you know, like an ATV or an Argo Cat or, a, you know, or, or something yeah. that might help us. And the nearest farm is, is literally sort of three miles away. And it's a real derelict old farm with no real kit on it at all. Mm. So we, we were quite in trouble. And uh, the good news is that, um, that I managed to drive Dewey all the way back up this hill um, across the um, across this sort of peaty boggy area, right up the side of the hill, through like the gates and the dry stone walls, up this higher bit of ground where there's abandoned farm machinery either side. And it wasn't until about the last twenty feet that we got stuck, and uh, we were within, you know, we were within three vehicle lengths from some hard standing from a from a bit of road. And uh, because we had a team of people with us who were, you know, the family and all these people. 
a few bodies on the on the back of the Land mm-hmm. Rover, and uh, we pushed it onto the road. Um, you know, with the tires full of mud, and uh, <laughs> it was just it was just fantastic. It was it was amazing, absolutely amazing, how good it was. So cool. Yeah, you know, every time I take out my uh, eighty inch or or am uh, exposed to anyone that uh, that has them uh, in an off road situation, it's just incredibly impressive what that little uh, you know that little car and that tiny little motor and stuff is capable yeah. of. It's uh, you know it really is, and it, and so much fun. I mean, I think the uh, you know the the original Land Rover is really just a, just a joy, and uh, yeah, to to take uh, the first <laughs> Land Rover and uh, nearly lose it. <laughs> In a peak bog, no better day, no better day than that. In my no, opinion. it was uh, it was it was one of those days to remember. And uh, in fact, we were up there for a few days, and um, it was we had we had days where you'd, you'd wake up and uh, you know the sun was shining and the roads were dry, and you got this um, you know Land Rover, no heater and it, no door tops and uh, mm-hmm. a, a tiny canvas roof. And I think one day it was minus ten, and then you got the wind chill driving it along at a sort of 40, 45, 50 miles an hour. And and it was bitterly cold, and uh, and then the snow started, and we were on the top of <laughs> a top of this moor, um, uh, you know. And it was at one point in time there was a good sort of four or five inches of snow as well, and it was it was magical, absolutely magical. Well, uh, that brings up a good question: What happens to JUE now? You've kind of displayed it, and you've kind of written the book about the restoration, and you've uh, you know shown it to the world, and and everybody's seen it. And now, now what happens to it? The first thing that that you have to remember is that it's privately owned. Mm-hmm. So, although it is a really significant vehicle, I mean, of uh, you know, of significant national heritage, I suppose, maybe even sort of world heritage in in some mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, it's privately owned, but it's it's privately owned by um, this guy, um, a guy called Jim Ratcliffe, who mm-hmm. has a big company called Ineos, who um, who are, are building up uh, a new yeah. four wheel drive, the Grenadier, and he's Ike really- is president of the U.S. Grenadiers uh, <laughs> Club, uh, so uh, he's well, I th- well I think acquainted. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm probably sort of uh, yeah. you know area Essex area chapter. <laughs> yeah, the, right. Good. Good. Yeah. The, yeah. I'm good, a, good. I'm a, I'm a big fan of them. I've, yeah, I've, um, I think they're very cool. Yeah, I've I've got to drive Grenadiers a couple of times. Mm. Not many mm-hmm. people have. But yeah. um, the important thing is that um, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, this this guy Jim Ratcliffe, is um, he's an enthusiast, and yeah. he's a real enthusiast. You know, he he's got he's got other um, other vehicles. He's got a he's he's got another um, eighty six station wagon, which is a really mm-hmm. really lovely thing. And you know it's it's not immaculate. You know, I guess he could afford anything that he wants, right. uh, but he's got this really original, slightly tatty, really lovely uh, eighty-six station wagon. He's got Land Rover Number One, which is you know in all its um, you know genuinely worn and patinered and scruffy um, condition, and he's he's absolutely besotted with this stuff. So it was a very rare combination of finding. Somebody who not only had the the understanding of what needed to happen to yeah. Land Rover Number One, but also had the the finances and the knowledge uh, to to achieve it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, he wants to drive it. So um, you know what happens next? Well, you know at the moment um, he's he's got it and they're using it. The family use right. it. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's driven round, and uh, his sons are very into um, 
four wheel drives and uh, and they drive it so it's it's not a it's not been put in a box and, and not used i mean when i've when i've had it back for you know a bit of adjustment or a bit of um servicing uh, the first mm -hmm. job is always to hose off um tons of clay and clag and <laughs> And seaweed and awesome. and, uh, and stuff from the underneath. Is that a service that you offer? Yeah, you bring <laughs> yeah. anything by. A quick power wash. Bring yeah. anyone and anything. Yeah, yeah, anyone. Ike got that service while he was at the workshop. Actually, just got, got my all undercarriage the, pressure yeah, wash. A little bit of a pressure wash there. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'll say so, it was. Uh, I appreciated on our ride back to London. Yeah. So, so it's. Um, I mean, to, to to my knowledge, it's uh, it's it's used and enjoyed, and as and as and when um, you know, there's it needs to be somewhere, or you know, they want to use it for something, um, mm -hmm. it gets it gets taken and, and used. And in fact, the last time um, it was it was out anywhere with with me was just before just before Christmas. So um, I get to see it and, and play with it on a regular regular basis. Well, that's great. What a what a wonderful story, and, and you've continued to take on you know series one restoration work, and you've got the next generation of uh, of uh, Schulheifers um, working on the uh, working on those. How do how do people follow your shop and your work? Do you have a do you have an Instagram? Do you have a you know tell us uh, about that? Yeah, inst Instagram is um, just Schulheifer, so it's the um, the impossible but phonetic uh, name to spell. So you can yeah, <laughs> it's hard to pronounce unless you just read it, and then it, it's it's phonetic. So so yeah. it's, Instagram is Schulheifer. Um, I'm on Facebook as myself. Um, our company has a page, but um, you know all the all the good stuff happens on my page. Yeah. Uh, that's where you get all the opinion and and uh, you get all the <laughs> all the disasters and all the truth and all the politics. Yeah, good. So that's, that's, that's where the real. That's where the real. Because you're you're not just working on Land Rovers. You have some some personal uh, projects on there too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I um I've I've always I mean my my background is is um although I've been into Land Rovers since I was a kid. You know the the usual story. Parents had them. I got you know this sort of disease that you know uh, that that mm -hmm. made me for some reason want to spend all my money on um, rusting <laughs> pieces of <laughs> British engineering. Um, but my um, my sort of my background within the auction industry and, and privately has mm. been you know quite sort of wide areas of, of vintage and classic cars and motorbikes and and I always wanted a, a fast pre-war car but fast mm -hmm. pre-war cars uh, you know like the big Bentleys or Vauxhall thirty ninety eights or you know Bugattis um, are telephone numbers to to buy and and yeah. maintain <laughs> and um, so. Since I was probably a teenager, I realised this, and and I always wanted a, um, a a good scruffy hot rod, and they're hard to buy as well. You know, nice nice hot yeah. rods. Hot rods, if they're yeah. scruffy and original, they're generally you know fairly unsafe and fairly crudely built. That's how they were how they were done. Yeah. Um, so to find something that's safe and works and is reliable but kind of looks old, you you got to build one. So my um, my own project at the moment, aside from a 5180, is, uh, is a 1931 Ford Deluxe Roadster, um, which was laid up in uh, New Hampshire in 1953. Mm. And at that point, uh, it, I won't say it was hot-rodded, but it, somebody started to modify it. You know, bits mm -hmm. were painted in different colours, and it had some shiny trim added. And, and so it was a, 
a mild, a very mild customization. So I decided that um, what I'd do with this car was, um, as it was laid up in 1953, I sort of build it to 1953 hot rod spec. So what was a great engine to put in your Model A in 1953? So I found a 1952 Lincoln uh, 317Y block mm -hmm. V8, which is quite a rare engine here. To a hot rod Lincoln. So it's a hot rod Lincoln, like the song. So Commander uh, Cody. <laughs> that's the one. So I, but mine's mine's uh, mine's an eight. I think his was a. I think his was a. Uh, was was it not a V twelve in the song? Mm, I think it might. I, I think, think it's eight cylinders and uses them all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think it's eight. I think there's there's different versions and they change the cylinders. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. So so that's it. That's that's my current thing, and that is um, I've got the hurry ups with that because I've got yeah. to um, get that done for our. Uh, it's entered in the Pendine. Uh, beach races in in yeah. May. Yeah, so it'll be, cool. be done. But um, excited to see that thing on the road. And speaking of fast, are you ready for the lightning round? The world famous, uh, uh, both uh, both anticipated hotly and feared uh, by guests uh, of the show. The famous Ike Goss uh, lightning round. I, uh, I understand you've been training for this. Is that is that what you've told us? You've, you've been going on on runs. I have, but don't expect. <laughs> Don't expect my answers to be too smooth. <laughs> right. It's like a Rocky versus uh, versus the Russian guy training montage happening uh, Yeah, with your wife and son yelling questions out the window <laughs> of uh, the 80-inch as you uh, run down uh, the road. So, all right, Ike, are you ready? I have a feeling some of the answers are going to be a little predictable, but I'm excited to hear them anyway. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Okay. Short, an short questions, short answers. Leaves or coils? Leaves. Gas or diesel? Gas. Bias ply or radial? Bias ply. Bronze green or Tangier's orange? Tangier's, no, bronze green. <laughs> Galvanized or painted chassis? Painted. All right, all right. And the best way to remove 90 weight from your underpants? Uh, petrol. <laughs> while you're wearing them, right? While you're, while you're wearing them. <laughs> perfect, perfect score. Perfect score. Well done. <laughs> the hot rodder's solution to uh, to uh, 90 weight. Well, Julian, thank yeah. you so much uh, for your time. Um, absolutely fantastic. We would uh, love to, uh, if you're willing, to have you back in the future to talk about uh, other projects that you've done. Certainly interested yeah, yeah. in uh, in the hot rod, uh, as uh, Ike and I were lucky enough to see uh, sort of most of the bits uh, while we were there, looking uh, extremely cool. <laughs> so can't wait to see that uh, together. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Uh, uh, our best to uh, the Schulheifer family and the the pheasants, uh, and we'll uh, we'll hopefully uh, talk to you very soon. No, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Julian. All right. Well, as always, uh, such a uh, joy to uh, speak with Julian. He's such a great sort of storyteller, and what a neat story, um, you know, that is, and so cool that such a historic car is being driven and used, and almost got dissolved in a peat bog, you know. On on, on its first outing, so it's great. It's good to know. It's good to know that it's uh, that it's it's still getting muddy and uh, and uh, and being used. Yeah, we're lucky that Julian wasn't uh, found preserved in a peat bog with Landover Number One in like a thousand years or something. 
Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, you never know. I I, I don't know. I think uh, there uh, there's a chance we get that uh, we get that Austin uh, ripped out of there. It'll be fine. It'll be great. <laughs> it's going to be good. It's just as good as it was. Um, speaking of uh, of the uh, the Austin Gypsy um, and uh, criticisms of our show on Instagram, we appreciate everybody's uh, comments and uh, wanted to give a shout out. And I don't remember if I've done this before, so I'm just going to do it again uh, because Joe is a, a real good guy over at uh, Lost Cause Ranch. Sent uh, Ike and I some T-shirts. And some uh, some stickers from the uh, from the Lost Cause Ranch. They've got some really neat projects uh, going on on their YouTube channel. You can check out there. Uh, they've just got an XD, uh, one of the one of the Eco Challenge XDs. They uh, of of course in the process of trying to uh, trying to start and uh, and then uh, maybe get driving uh, the uh, Nada uh, 475 uh, as well as all kinds of other stuff. Really really fun channel. Joe's a great guy and uh, and they've got some good stuff going there. So thank you uh, for that. We appreciate. It, um, our good our good friend, uh, the uh, the state of Mike on Instagram also gave us a great shout out for uh, having ropey 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 bumpers on your uh, on your Land Rover. And uh, as you know, we are huge fans of uh, of un- unnecessarily roping uh, your your Land Rover. So he was very good fun about that, and and had a great picture of his very roped up. Uh, Range Rover, massively roped. Well, it's a famous rope, though. It was like a rope used in, in an actual event. So that's there's something to that, as opposed to just rope you've bought at the hardware store and and uh, you know made a wicker chair frame out of your uh, out of your brush brush bar. It's a, that's a little bit a little bit different. And uh, we're uh, you know we're working on some interesting stuff. Uh, we've got uh, after the recent episode of uh, of uh, our good friend uh, um, Dan and Ivan over at uh, at Rover Talk uh, their uh, their latest episode talking about Ivan's latest trip to uh, Spain and uh, all the uh, misadventures going on there. We're talking about potentially doing some stuff with them later this year to grow the the ever expanding Land Rover podcast uh, universe. I don't know. This <laughs> is tie-ins and cross. Crossovers and it's like a it's like a Marvel movie over here, you know. It's like when the Globetrotters visit Scooby Doo. Oh my God! You never know who's going to show up. That's no. the thing, you know. This is this is truly the uh, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, one ties into another. It's uh, cliffhangers and uh, special appearances. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, we'll have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar do a special. I don't know. Whatever. We're going to find some stuff. It's going to be great. As uh, unfortunately, we uh, have run out of time uh, for Ike's uh, review of uh, Nando's. Not again. I know. This time I thought we would have it for sure, but you know, Julian is uh, absolutely just fascinating to chat with, and uh, we had to bump them in order to make time. Uh, so uh, we promise we will next get time. to that uh, yeah, next, next time. time. Next time in the future, there's some new stuff on the uh, underpowered hour store uh, for any of those folks that you uh, are obligated to buy something for, but don't uh, really care for them that deeply. Uh, plenty of great <laughs> gift ideas uh, there. Uh, check out our Instagram and uh, and Ike. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to check out our TikToks. My uh, wonderful wife Liza has been uh, helping uh, to. Uh, uh, move us into the next generation of social media with doing some uh, some clever uh, TikTok. She is uh, she's a real artist when it comes to uh, to that stuff, and uh, there are some good ones coming out. Some participation that I've had uh, in some of the forthcoming TikToks. Uh, high level, high level of self deprecation uh, for uh, the audience's did, entertainment. Did you embarrass? Here. 
us again. Oh, that constantly. I can't uh, go out into the world without doing that. But uh, yeah, we've been uh, we've been shooting some stuff around the workshop, and uh, yeah, just about uh, ready to make a trip up uh, north to uh, to see Ike to uh, start getting some uh, some stuff done up there as well. Visit uh, visit Ike's uh, stolen uh, attack uh, pheasant and uh, deal with settling that lawsuit with uh, Fish and Wildlife. So yeah. That'll be good. So uh, on that note, uh, it's been uh, a pleasure as always, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. All right, Stephen, looking forward to it. The Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook.